I'm Stephanie Plum, Jersey girl, Rutgers graduate, successful underachiever working for Vincent Plum Bail Bonds as a recovery agent, hunting down losers who've skipped out on their bond. A half hour ago, I heard police chatter about Duncan Dugan exhibiting erratic behavior in an office building downtown. Since I'd been assigned the task of finding Dugan and dragging his sorry butt back into the legal system, I rushed to the scene with my co-worker Lula. Dugan was standing on a fourth floor ledge, flattened against the front of the building, looking down at the crowd that had gathered below him. He's gonna jump, Lula said to me. I got him pegged for a jumper. Hello, and welcome to Best Seller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or re-gift it. I'm Barbara. And I'm Brian. Today we're reviewing Dirty 30 by Janet Ivanovich. He, he what? Ivanovich? Ivanovich. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that hard for me? I don't know. Number one on the November 19th, 2023 list. And we're recording today from La Fortuna Costa Rica, near the foot of the Arenal Volcano, a 5,400 foot tall stratovolcano that erupted from 1968 to 2010, burying three villages. But we've been assured it is not expected to erupt while we're doing this recording. Uh, and if it does? We'll finish the episode and run like hell. Or run like hell and then finish the episode. Um, priorities? My priority is surviving long enough to record the Iron Flame episode. Oh, I guess I better get reading that one then. Uh, deal. So what do we know about our author? Janet Ivanovich was born in South River, New Jersey in 1943, so she's 80 years old. She was the first in her family to attend college, studying art at Rutgers University. When she was in her 30s, a mother with children, she decided she wanted to write fiction. And she took improv classes to help her with the art of writing dialogue, which seems like a great approach to me. Ivanovich wrote three literary novels that did not sell before switching to romance, writing two of those, and then quitting the field when she didn't hear back from the publisher she sent them to. She was already working for a temp agency when one of the publishers got back to her with a $2,000 offer, which she grabbed, astounded they would pay her that much. So she published a dozen romances under this name, Steffi Hall, but discovered about five years into it that she preferred writing the action sequence over the sex scenes. So she took some time off from the romance genre to design a private eye or private detective series. And she was inspired by the Robert De Niro movie Midnight Run, which is about a bounty hunter. And she modeled the format of her new series on TV shows like Seinfeld, with a central lead character and a cast of quirky supporting characters. The first book in the series, One for the Money, came out in 1994 and got good reviews. I remember that when my niece, another Stephanie, first turned me on to that series, I was, she actually read part of it aloud to me and I was totally hooked. The action scenes were so funny. The dialogue was snappy and hilarious. That first book was made into a movie starring Katherine Heigl, not released until 2012. The movie did not get good reviews or do well at the box office, even though Ivanovich herself is said to have liked it. Yeah, I remember seeing it years ago, and I was not super impressed with it. But then we watched it again recently to prepare for this episode, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was surprised at age as well. Yeah, I remember being torn when it first came out because I wanted so badly to like it, and I don't know why it didn't work for me back then. But when we watched it recently, I loved it. 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because they haven't tried again to adapt this series. Well, since 1994, Ivanovich has written 29 more of these, so she's up to number 30. And she's written 34 other books with a variety of co-authors and a variety of series characters. So she's producing two books a year consistently. And she's done so well that her company, Ivanovich Incorporated, employs not only herself, but also her husband, Pete, her son, Peter, and her daughter, Alexandra. They have residences in Hawaii and North Carolina, which I take it means she doesn't feel the need to live in New Jersey in order Mm. to write her New Jersey-based plum novels. Google Maps is a wonderful thing. She's got it all mapped in her head at this point. Okay. Well, let's talk about the book. So it's a 324-page comic suspense novel published by Atria, the 30th installment in the Stephanie Plum series, as you can tell by the title, Dirty 30. It's the 30th, but is it the dirtieth? (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Well, it does have an interior design feature that's kind of sloppy looking. Piles Mm. of frosted donuts crumbling in in stacks are presented at the head of each chapter, with the stacks getting smaller and smaller as the book progresses, like they're being nibbled away until you're left with just a pile of crumbs at the top of the last chapter. (laughs) Okay, that's fun. Yeah, another fun interior design feature. They put some graphic art representing each installment of the series in the inside of the book cover, the logo and title of each book, plus a facsimile of Ivanovich's signature, looking different each time, I might add. So it's as if you had, you know, acquired a signed copy of each book. Now, I did read that she does a lot of appearances when her novels come out, so it wouldn't be impossible to build a signed collection like that. It looks kind of cool. Yeah. So the gender for this installment in the series is 90% female, which sounds about right for the series as a whole, do you think? Yeah, that was my guess. So in the audiobook, eight hours and two minutes, read by Lorelai King, who's done Stephanie Plum novels before, other Janet Ivanovich books. She's done some Margaret Atwood, Jane Smalley, a recording of Little Women, hmm. and so on. So what'd you think of her voice acting? I thought it was good. I thought she struck the right balance of voices, narration, and energy. Mm. She was able to create a distinct voice for each character, and that adds to the experience, and she kept it moving. Occasionally, I felt like she defaulted to some sort of teacher voice, like when we were read to in the sixth grade, (laughs) but even that was fine. Okay. Well, getting the voices of the different characters distinctive is a huge plus for me when I'm listening to these, so it sounds like she's good at that. Well, let's talk about the story. What is the storyline in Dirty 30? So Stephanie Plum, Trenton, New Jersey's most famous fictional bounty hunter, is short of cash, as usual, and is thrilled to take on a couple of local jobs that look to pay well. Duncan Dugan, arrested for armed robbery of a jewelry store, has missed his court appearance. He's the one who was threatening to jump from the ledge in the opening section read at the beginning of this episode. Also, Stephanie is hired by that same jewelry store owner to find his missing security guard, Andy Manley, known locally and affectionately, I suppose, as Nutsy, mm. because the owner thinks Nutsy took advantage of the confusion of the armed robbery to make off with a bag full of his diamonds. Dugan survives his fall, fortuitously assisted by a cafe awning. How many decent suicide attempts have been foiled by those darn awnings? But disappears from the hospital he's taken to before Stephanie can get him back to court and collect her fee. So, she gets to work on these two intertwined cases, assisted by former prostitute and longtime sidekick Lula, and by Stephanie's on-again, off-again lover, the private security demigod known as Ranger. Yeah, and Stephanie's current boyfriend, Morelli who's also a very regular in this series, right, is out of town on police business, which means Stephanie is watching his big, orange, perpetually hungry dog, Bob, with all the hilarity you would assume that entails. Morelli's absence sets up subplot number one. Stephanie is trying to be faithful to Morelli, 
But Ranger is coming on pretty strong, letting her know he's ready to go again any time that she gives the green light. Subplot number two is about Lula, apparently some big scary things creeping around her apartment at night, taking her clothes, bumping into things, generally scaring the crap out of her. So Lula is convinced she's being terrorized by an ogre, an actual ogre. Stephanie reserves judgment. In the course of looking for Dugan and Nutsy and juggling the subplots, Stephanie's car gets totaled, of course. Lula's apartment is torched. We learn that the jewelry store owner may have been selling fake gems, and a missing dead body connected to the case needs to be found and dug up. Fortunately, Stephanie has a contact in the Trenton underworld who makes ends meet by robbing graves, Mm. so he's good at that sort of thing. Does Plum locate her targets, bring them in, and get paid before the rent is due? Does she succumb to Ranger's seductions, leaving Morelli on ice while he's off working on serious police business. Poor guy. And most importantly, do we find a natural explanation for Lula's scary nighttime visitor? Or is Ivanovich, after 30 installments, tiring of the police procedural and making an unexpected turn into Stephen King territory? The potentially lucrative realm of private detectives who pursue human villains, one book, Supernatural Creeps, the next. (laughs) See our podcast episode on Holly. For answers to these and other pressing questions, read the book. As we did. So let's talk about what we thought. The first category is grab and grip, our category of measurable level of how the author grabbed you and pulled you into the story and kept you in its grip. What did you think? It's not exactly a bombshell case, but I was pulled in. I had no trouble sticking with it. I enjoyed it. You know, there's quirks to the case, but I think more than the central case itself, what kept me going was her writing the little quick cases she throws in as she's running out of cash periodically. They're always fun and interesting. And I thought the way she handled the subplots was was really good. Like, they were interesting enough and they were sprinkled in enough that it just kept my interest throughout. So I gave it a 2.5. And I, I thought I would share a audio example here mm. uh, just to kind of show how her writing and her little sidebar cases just kind of can keep your interest. This audio example is, you know, she's out on a case picking up a skip tracer and he's in a trailer where he lives with a snake. Let's take a listen. You're disturbing my afternoon and you're trespassing. You should leave before I have to shoot you. You wouldn't shoot me. We're old friends. We aren't friends, Diggory said. We're business associates. I got out of the car and waved at him. I'm coming in, I said. The hell you are, Diggory said. I got a lock on the door of this trailer, and besides that, Ethel number two might eat you. Ethel only eats when she's hungry, and I'm betting on her not being hungry. Well, then she'll squeeze you until your eyes pop out of your head and you have a bathroom accident. That would be unpleasant. How about if you come out here to talk? I don't want to go to jail. Court is still in session. I'll have Connie meet us at the municipal building, and you'll get rescheduled, and I'll bring you back to your trailer. Can I take Ethel? No. She don't like being left alone. Will she fit in a cage? Hell no, she barely fits in my trailer. Turn the television on for her. I hear that works sometimes. I guess I could do that. You got any incentives for me to go with you? Lula is with me. That's not an incentive. She scares the crap out of me. What do you want? Cheeseburger, a dozen donuts, a couple lottery tickets, a bucket of chicken, a six-pack of beer, bottle of whiskey? I'm heavy into whiskey these days. You got it. Okay, but you got to wait a minute, and I'll put some clothes on. You don't have any clothes on? 
I like the freedom of nakedness, and it saves on the laundry, and Ethel don't mind. I guess that's the advantage of living with a snake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, that's just typical Stephanie Plum. I like it. It keeps keeps me engaged. What do you think about this category? Oh, so I, for Grab and Grip, I thought it was good. Honestly, I read the series avidly until about six, book 16 or so, and then I stopped because I felt like it was sort of becoming predictable. But I found this story delightful in the twists and turns along the way, and I was pleasantly surprised to see my interest pretty strong. I gave this category a three. You have more experience with the series than I do. I think I read number one, and then I didn't read anything till number 30. <laughs> so you have a good basis of comparison. Let's go on to the next category. She got flair. What did you think about this one? The dialogue, the crazy scenes that she described in this particular book were just really, really good. Um, one of the examples was she's sort of scoping out a place and coming into a scene where she's going to try to go after somebody. And it says, a middle school was one block over. Panhandlers hung out on corners, but I didn't see any hardcore drug users or dealers, at least none who were lying on the ground in an overdose or peddling heroin by shouting out sale prices. Mm. I just thought that was funny. And then when Stephanie shows up at Ranger's pad in the middle of the night, she says, Lula's taken over my bedroom. She's a bed hog. She snores like a rhinoceros. Poor Bob went into the bathroom to try to sleep. Tears started to leak out of my eyes. They've taken over my apartment. I like them, but I can't live with them. (laughs) Ranger cuddled me into him and kissed me just above my ear. But you can live with me? I nodded and sniffed up some snot. So good. It's just the little tag at the end that helps. Yeah. So I gave this category a 3.5. You know, I like her writing style, too. I, I said that when I was thinking this through that she's smooth, she's readable, she's funny. Here's an example of what I would consider smooth. She had to go out of town with Lula. It was a pretty long, grueling drive there and back. And she just got this line, we reached Jersey a little after 10 o'clock that night. I was numb from the ass down, and I couldn't blink my eyes. <laughs> it's short, yeah, and it works. Yes. And a lot of her writing is like that. Now, the other thing, of course, is the humor. She is funny. And I read that when she was writing her romances way back then, she was known to be funny. Mm. It was one of her trademarks, and she's kept it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many examples. Here's one where she's introducing Lula, in case you're new to the series. And she says, Lula is a person of color, and I'm a person of less color. <laughs> you know, good. Here's another one. Stephanie talking to Ranger, okay? They sound like good people, Ranger. There's a cousin on death row in South Carolina for killing and beheading 12 people, but he's twice removed. Stephanie, every family has one of those, I said. (laughs) Babe, Ranger said. So I gave her I gave her a three for flair. And what did you say you gave her? I gave her a three point five. It's one of the strengths. So what did you think of the beam me up category for world building? Were you transported to the land of bounty hunting in Jersey? Look, I like this world. I remember reading it whenever it was. I like reading about seedy underworlds, and I think she does a good job of that. I like the fact that her past from high school is always interconnected. She knows half the people she's chasing, and they know her. (laughs) It's just, it's really fun. And I like the fact that these people that she's chasing down, you know, they've skipped bail. They're usually down and outers, but there's some heart and soul to them. I really like that. I think she could probably do a little bit more with procedural details. Hmm. I ended up giving this category 
a 2.5 because of that. I don't. She may be coasting on that side of it at this point hmm. after 30 volumes. Hmm. But I did want to mention one other little thing. There's a lot about food in the world of Lula and Stephanie and the others. And it's always junk food, processed food, heavy food, comfort food. There's plenty of examples. I'll just read a couple. 52 miles, Lula said. Is this trip never going to end? My ass is asleep. I need a bacon cheeseburger with onion rings and slaw. I need coconut layer cake and ice cream. I need a drink, vodka straight up. Then <laughs> there's an example of Stephanie at home. I went with coffee and a frozen waffle. I toasted the waffle and added a slice of American cheese. They had those mocha and vanilla shortbread cookies that you like, somebody in the scene says to her. So this is periodic. It's probably one of her trademarks in the series. I liked it at first. It was funny. It's almost like, let's present food that everybody's told they're not supposed to eat and just have Lula eating it all the time. It's comforting. It's fun. But I will tell you the truth. I was feeling a little queasy by the end of the book. <laughs> oh, no. It's really like if you're at one of those all-you-can-eat American-style buffets, and at first it's like really great, and then you make the mistake of looking at another table, and you see the guy who's got a plate piled a foot high with king crab legs, and right next to him on the table is the bones of the previous plate that he already did, and all of a sudden, <laughs> like, feel I sick. don't enjoy my meal as much. <laughs> It was. It kind of had that effect. So I, I think it is funny and it's it's different, but it, it was getting to me by the end. So I ended up giving World Building a 2.5. So I think that's interesting that you had that reaction to all the food. I think it's funny. And I think that it's sort of like so many of these novels, like remember the, um, the Five Star Weekend, there was a lot of mm. description about the amazing food, but Stephanie Plum is not Martha Stewart. <laughs> she doesn't cook and she doesn't you know, I know, and it's funny. And it is and funny. It's, so, it's also refreshing. It makes you feel better about your diet. Right. And the other part <laughs> about it is that it's sort of a fantasy. Like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if, if people could eat junk all the time? And um, so that's part of the escape is that... I agree. Yeah. So for me, I was instantly transported to the Stephanie Plum world. I'd spent so much time in these books years ago, and I still had strong images for each of the areas of action that I was able to pull up. And I enjoy this world. I can see that Stephanie has come a long way in her work as a bounty hunter. So there's mm. been sort of an arc across the 30... Yeah books and she has a competence now that is enjoyable and it's believable and it's not mastery but it's but she's better at it than she was when she started out and that's fun so i gave this category a three it's not mastery but can we skip into the next category the new best friends yeah what did you think it's part of her character and Mm -hmm. it is very appealing i i gave a high score to this category of new best friends i gave it a four everything works the character the lead character the supporting characters Mm -hmm. you know she has the line at one point of the book i don't have any special skills there's something really appealing about that and i even remember when she got hired the first time way back in what was it one for the money yeah she was just short of money and yeah. they needed a little help and it's like either you do office work or you do skip tracing i'll try it right and you're right she's gained some competence over the years but she still basically is winging it all the time sure so i like her i like her grit mm-hmm. um I also I was a little shocked when I picked it up, having not read the series in so long to see it's all the same people. So I don't know how it works if you read all 30. Maybe you enjoy it because they're like, what, once a year they come out. Uh, It's like a sitcom like she she modeled this after you. You see the same characters and the same jokes, but they're variations on the, the jokes and you enjoy them. You enjoy seeing how she varies it from book to book. Yeah. I also think Lula is great. Yeah. And hilarious. I like her family. Mm-hmm. You know, her oh. lovers still really work. Her grandma. 
here's a line about Lula. They're they're working on this case where uh, a guy kidnapped a woman and chained her to a doghouse. So, so Stephanie says, it says here that he chained her to a doghouse in his backyard. Lula finished off the chocolate cake donut and says, was it a nice doghouse? <laughs> Some of those doghouses have heat and carpeting and everything. So I, <laughs> I think... I'm certainly not alone in thinking that Lula is great and hilarious. And I wanted to play a second audio example. Oh, cool. Just kind of bringing that out. Now, maybe we should give a content alert. If you're listening to this podcast with, I don't know, a 10-year-old boy in the car, you might want to pause it because it's got some little slang terms for male anatomy that maybe (laughs) you don't want him flinging around at you the next five weeks. But it's a great example. So let's go ahead and play it. I introduced myself and asked if Marjorie Katz was at home. I'm Marjorie Katz, she said. What is this about? I'm looking for Farkas Trundle. He's in violation of his bond agreement. You were listed on his booking sheet. It said you were robbed and kidnapped, Lula said, and chained to a doghouse. Marjorie Katz closed her eyes for a beat. Hideous, horrible, awful man. He's a disgusting human being. Her eyes narrowed. He chained me to a doghouse. It was terrible. She lowered her voice. He dropped his pants and showed me his one-eyed snake. Oh, my God, Lula said. He had a snake in his pants? That's sick. No, Marjorie said. I'm talking about Willie Winky. Lula was blank-faced. Say what? Marjorie rolled her eyes. His wiggle stick. Baloney pony, wrinkle beast, tadger. His dick, I said to Lula. Lula went wide-eyed at Marjorie. Seriously? Where'd you learn all those words for a dick? I was a librarian, Marjorie said. Well, I was a hoe, Lula said. And we never called it any of those things. <laughs> so, okay, first of all, it's hilarious. Yeah. And second... What was his name? Farkas Trundle? Yeah. I mean, that's worth the scene right there. The oh, the characters are so great. I As I said, I gave this category a high score. I gave it a four. New Best Friends. What about you? So for me, New Best Friends, I love Stephanie Plum. I enjoy her relationship with all the other characters in her life. And I always appreciate her boundaries. She's never mean to anyone, even when they're walking mm. all over her. Um, yeah. She wants certain things, and she operates within the orb of what she can make happen. And I appreciate that approach to life. And she's creative and fun, even yeah. while she's doing important work. So, But for the rest of them, I mean, they're enjoyable, but I don't know if I could actually deal with them. Uh, <laughs> what about Bob? Oh, Bob. The would dog. Be, Bob would play with Finn. Two big yes. orange golden retrievers. I gave new best friends a three. So what about the last category, all the feels? What did you think? Did you have any emotional response? Okay, so this is my lowest of the five categories. And I'm just being honest. I gave it a 1.5 because (laughs) I didn't have any. I mean, I enjoyed the book, Mm -hmm. but that's different from having an emotional. Did you laugh, though? Yes. That's sort of an emotional response. Well, I guess you could consider it that. Did I laugh? Did I cry? I laughed more than I cried. Let's put it that way. My <laughs> my emotion, my sense of pathos and, you know, justice. These cases are not really pulling at you that way. 
to me, it's really like a sitcom and you don't really get that emotionally engaged in a sitcom. Even the love story felt a little formulaic. I don't know how it feels for someone who's been following the series for 30 years. And um, I would say the cases that she's working on, they feel more charming to me than deep or intense. Mm. I didn't have a strong emotional reaction to this book, even though I enjoyed it. What about you? I found it delightful. I laughed. I enjoyed it. I didn't cry. The romance part was fairly tame, but just like a soap opera, there were some strong developments that are definitely worth checking out. Um, And I gave all the feels 2.5. Let's talk about it overall then. Our overall score when you average all these numbers is 2.85, which I consider a solid three-star rating from us. And that seems about right to me. It places its seventh out of the 18 books we've reviewed this year, the year of 2023, I mean, Mm -hmm. putting it just behind Holly by Stephen King, which, to be fair, had octogenarian cannibals (laughs) and slightly above Ellen Hildebrand's Five Star Weekend. Which also, to be fair, has no proudly plus-sized former erectile engineers, as Lula calls herself. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to see Lula at the Five Star Weekend, wouldn't you? But there were were no hoes in that beach read. (laughs) On social media, Dirty 30 is averaging 4.7 on Amazon, 4.32 on Goodreads, 3.92 on Storygraph, for a composite social media score of 4.31, placing it 8th out of the 18 bestsellers we reviewed this year, just slightly above the midline. And the second episode in a row, our opinions have aligned with the great mass of online reviewers. Oh no, that's a frightening trend if it continues. It won't. It better not. (laughs) On that note, thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next Monday for the first of our two special episodes summing up the best-selling fiction of 2023. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying. Keep laughing, keep crying. Don't stop until you've read them all. (laughs) (laughs) But he did very good. He only crossed a little bit at the end. He did his happy roll. Oh, did he? Yeah, and then he's getting his ears. Did he react to the